Welcome to Curve Beam Connect. Listen in monthly as we talk with doctors and experts in the field discussing innovations and insights into orthopedic imaging. Welcome to the Curve Beam Connect podcast, where we give doctors, patients, and anyone interested in healthcare and technology a look into how our solutions are changing medicine. I'm your host, Vinti Singh, Marketing Director here at Curvebeam. This episode, I'm having a conversation with Dr. David Sumek, DPM FACBAS, a foot and ankle specialist who specializes in sports medicine and reconstructive foot and ankle surgery. Dr. Sumek is the founder of the Foot and Ankle Specialty Group in Beverly Hills, California. He uses state-of-the-art diagnostic tools and examinations for diagnosis and surgical planning when needed. Welcome, Dr. Sumek. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hi, how are you, Vinti? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. So can you start by just telling us a little bit about your practice? Sure. Uh, I've been practicing foot and ankle medicine and surgery for the last 20 years. Uh, I've been in private practice for the last seven years, and I do both performing surgeries as well as any sort of foot and ankle pathology in the office. I can treat, diagnose, and take care of as well. Uh, And my goal in my practice has always been to make it a sort of one-stop shop for my patients that if they come in with a problem, I take care of them clinically, di- uh, examination, diagnosis, and in terms of any imaging that I need, everything should be here for them so I don't have to send them out to another facility, wait three, four days, get the result, and then decide to treat them. So everything is all here at the facility uh, to treat them from A to Z, and that's uh, where it comes into play by having the uh, cone beam CT uh, in my office as well. Great, so can you tell us what your general approach is when you are uh, deciding to adopt new technology into your practice? What What are you thinking about when you're deciding, well, this is another component or modality that I need so that I can truly be a one stop shop? So that's a good question because there's always a lot of new modalities on the market for all different kinds of things. And what's the most important is to decide for the physician, how is this going to change my practice in terms of how is it going to help the patient and help me to guide them into a better diagnosis, which then leads to better treatment, not just oh, I can make a profit off of this this device, for example. Mm-hmm. So you, it has to be where it would change the way that you would help the patient. And so if it's just, you know, an x-ray machine that is simply uh, easier to take the x-ray, well, that's easier for me, but is it actually change any benefit for the patient? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not, so am I going to invest in that? Or if I'm going to get uh, an MRI machine, right? So there's a lot of foot and ankle MRI devices uh, that are on the market that fit in a little doctor's office uh, that are much smaller than an MRI center would have or a hospital would have. Mm-hmm. But the quality of the image for these lower extremity MRIs is so far less than those in a facility that they're almost not even worth reading or looking at. They really don't give you much information. So if you take that example and you look at it and say, well, you know, really the only reason I'd be using an MRI in my office is to be able to charge for myself. Mm -hmm. 
so that I don't have to send them out, but it's not going to give me very detailed information. So that's one of the reasons I never invested in an MRI machine, uh, which came out much sooner uh, than this, uh, than the cone beam CT scan did, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, if you're trying to make this decision solely on an ROI and what you're going to get per scan, you're, you're probably not in the long term making the best decision, you could say, even financially for both you and your patients. Right. Correct. So ev- everywhere you look now, um, you read about the impact of COVID-19 on everything. Um, so can you talk a, a little bit about how it's impacted your daily operations and patient care and maybe how the imaging technology plays into that? So certainly, like most physicians, uh, things just slowed down in the practice uh, pretty significantly. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough not to have to close my doors and I was able to continue to see patients, but certainly uh, more limited, less people, and as well as we spread them out much farther apart from each other, and we're purposely seeing less patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the advantages that I had in the office is the ability to to have all of my imaging here, where patients were then not, you know, they're they're much more fearful to have to. Oh, now I have to go to another place now mm-hmm. and expose myself even more, and when you're going to a center to get a CT or MRI, uh, you're going to be with patients who have all different kinds of problems that are there uh, mm-hmm. that could have you know, medical problems that versus, well, here in my office, you're only going to have a foot and ankle issue. You're not going to have a sick patient here waiting to get an MRI or a CT. Right. Uh, that allowed for patients to be more comfortable to to be here and get an, get an exam or get a CT if they needed to mm-hmm. uh, and not worry about going to another facility. Uh, in addition, the uh, when I you know taking an X-ray, there's a lot more hands-on with the patient, having to position them and being close up to them while you're positioning them. Right. Uh, whereas for the cone beam CT, uh, you basically you almost don't even have to touch them. You can verbally tell them, "Listen, place your foot here, stand here, turn your foot this way." You know, you there's there's indicators and, and markings on the platform where you can tell the patient and stand between these two lines, and that's it. And you don't even have to have any contact. So in that way, it was helpful. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Do you think you were sought out at all by patients because you had additional services during COVID-19? Yes, yeah, I, I do believe I have. And I, specifically because there were patients who told me so in, in, in light of the way that I was explaining that then they knew they didn't have to, they weren't going to have to go to two or three different places for this one problem. Was that something that, did you retool your marketing for your practice at all? Yeah, so the, my website indicated that, that you know, everything would be done here and they wouldn't have to go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's great. Um, so Curvebeam recently hosted a webinar in which a surgeon from the UK discussed how they deployed a mobile weight-bearing CT system during COVID-19 to get imaging for patients prior to their telemedicine visit. So I know that you are still meeting patients in person the entire time. But what's interesting is he said that because the cone beam CT scan is so low dose, um, that the weight-bearing CT functionally replaced the weight-bearing x-rays. So to save on time and exposure and contact, 
the they were getting a weight bearing CT as the first line of imaging diagnosis, kind of completely in in lieu of weight bearing X-ray. What are your thoughts on that? Did you find your imaging protocol shifting similarly, or or do you already do things that way? Could you provide some commentary? On- Sure. So, uh, you know, I've been using the cone beam for, I think, almost seven years now. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, it was sort of, okay, I'm going to use it uh, for particular instances, and I'm going to continue to use my x-ray. And after, you know, within six months or a year, it was more and more evident that, you know, just the detail and the precision of what I can see with the CT far outweighed the x-rays. And Mm -hmm. really, that turned into naturally progress into the primary mode of uh, imaging and only really use x-ray when it's just more appropriate a certain angle I need to measure that you know is a little bit more difficult with the CT mm-hmm. uh, that yeah that it has really typically moved to my primary uh, mode of imaging mm-hmm. for almost anything okay great so so you except for rare circumstances, we'll always go straight to the cone beam CT. Yes. And, and I'll put it to you this way, that if I were to open a new practice, mm-hmm. uh, for example, or a new location, uh, I'd likely take the current digital x-ray I have and move that to that practice mm-hmm. and just have my CT machine here only, and then eventually just purchase another CT for that other office, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's a great endorsement. You're going to probably get questions from other foot and ankle specialists who are listening to this. Well, what about prior authorization? Uh, because mm-hmm. you, you think of that often when you think of CT. So how, how are you managing that if you're doing a, a, a CT on every patient? So that, that's the most challenging and difficult part uh, of the process. I think each, each physician, each practice that does, does this probably does it in a different way. Um, one of my goals, again, is not to have to have the patient leave and wait to see a result or, okay, let's get an authorization, come back in a few days, and then we'll take your CT. I mean, you're already here. Mm-hmm. So I don't send the patients out without doing the scan, even if I don't necessarily have the authorization the same day. So mm-hmm. what we usually do is when I've decided the patient will need that scan that day, I'll have my staff start immediately working on getting the authorization. So pretty much I have one staff who works on that type of thing. Mm-hmm. She makes the call to the insurance company. I've given the, the diagnosis or what possibly is the diagnosis, what we're looking for. She gives that to them over the phone. And uh, there are one or a few scenarios. One scenario is, okay, it's approved. Here's your approval number. Mm-hmm. Great. We go ahead and take the scan. Or... Uh, you don't need an authorization, fine, we do the scan, or we need some extra documents, your notes, the clinical documents to get an approval. In those circumstances, we still take the scan and I, I will let the patient know that we're gonna get an authorization, they sign a form that says, in case it doesn't get authorized, mm-hmm. you may need to pay a certain amount towards this, this scan. Mm-hmm. And they'll sign a waiver for that. If uh, a few days later, we don't get a response, we call again, we're waiting for an authorization. Okay, we got your notes and we approve it. So, okay, we get the approval letter and then I'll wait until I get the approval to actually bill the scan, if that makes sense. So I wait on the, on the billing and we make sure that the scan is authorized for the day of service that I gave them, not the day of the authorization. Does that make sense? 
Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. And then, or they'll say you need to do what's called a peer to peer where they want you to talk to a physician at the insurance company to get it approved. So that's when I will spend a moment or two with that physician on the phone and tell them the clinical reasons why we want a CT scan. And, and if it meets the criteria, it's approved. Mm-hmm. And in those cases where it's not approved, uh, then you know there are circumstances where I might just charge the patient uh, the agreed cost if just in case their insurance didn't pay for it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, there are many times where, where instances where I'll tell the patient, listen, if it doesn't get approved, uh, I'm, I'll just go ahead and bill it as a normal x-ray. Mm-hmm. And that that's okay with me. You know, I don't have to recoup the cost every time. So I'd rather get the detail uh, and just bill it as a, a regular x-ray. That makes sense. May I ask, have you reached your uh your payback amount for your system? Is it now at the point where everything is revenue? Pretty close. Okay. Okay. Pretty close. Yeah. So then the pressure to make that CT level reimbursement will be even less uh, once you're right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think what you're saying about not having to have the patient come back is even more relevant uh, right now uh, during the pandemic when you are trying to reduce the number of times that the patient has to leave the house and, and interact with other people. So uh, I I think that is in this day and time, that's probably a good approach anyway to yeah. uh, take care of all the administrative stuff just off the bat. Yeah. And, and patients, you know, I found that they're, you know, if you tell them, okay, I think maybe you have a fracture or maybe you have this or that, I'm going to put you in this boot uh, in case you do come back in a few days. Let's take the scan. Oh, you don't have a fracture or whatever. And now what am I doing in this boot? You know, it's just, or they don't ever come back, you know, so it doesn't make sense to do it later. Yeah. Yeah. And then if they have a fracture that they never properly treat, that can cause much more problems down the line. Right. So, yeah. 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 And it, and it also kind of depends on where you practice, you know, in my area, uh, these are patients who are pretty fickle and they're, you know, they just want to know what's wrong with them and take care of them right away. They, you know, in, in, in a city like this, if you're in a rural area, you know, those patients are different kind of people. They'll come back three, four days later if they need to, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different dynamic. Right. You just need to know your market. I think it's interesting uh, what you said that you had looked at MRI for your practice, but decided not to get it. Um, and I, I say that because that same uh, surgeon from the United Kingdom um, said that when the, he started using weight-bearing CT primarily, um, he realized he was referring for much fewer MRIs. And that's because mm-hmm. a big reason he was getting the MRIs was to get the 3D detail. And he was getting that 3D detail from the cone beam CT. Right. If he needed additional soft tissue information, he could just get an ultrasound. And in the United Kingdom market specifically, um, not having to wait for an MRI and being able to go to uh, ultrasound, um, it's a much more efficient pathway to care in that particular country. And I I know that you also offer ultrasound services in office. And I was wondering if you agree with him. Do you utilize the CBCT plus uh, potential ultrasound, that same workflow? Yeah, I would agree with that, um, that if I feel like there's a soft tissue issue and I've ruled that out with the CT as well, or then I'll use my ultrasound to complete the diagnosis or any additional diagnoses. Uh, rarely do I need to send out for an MRI, but there are certain things that you, you really just need an MRI for. But again, I'm going to want the detail uh, that a in-office MRI just can't give me. You know, when you compare 
an in-office CT with cone beam versus a uh, industrial CT at a center, the quality is is, is nominally different. It's mm-hmm. Not it's comparable, so it makes sense to have one in your office. The MRI has not come is not the same. Mm-hmm. So it's not fair to the patient to say, "Oh, I've got a good MRI machine here." Could you estimate? Could you ballpark how many patients who get a CBCT also go on to get an ultrasound just for some additional soft tissue information? I'd probably say about forty percent. Okay, that's that's a healthy percentage. So could we switch gears a little bit and talk about total ankle replacement planning? So you offer three different total ankle replacement options to your patients, kind of the the big three in that realm. Does the PEDCAT, curve beam PEDCAT weight-bearing CT, does that play a part at all in your total ankle replacement planning? Yeah. So, you know, you definitely want to know as precisely as possible your your angles and your approach and uh, and how much bone needs to be removed uh, if we're using you know one system versus another. In fact, there are actually 3D systems that if we have a 3D scan uh, can much take, give us much better uh, precision uh, in the preoperative uh, planning. Mm-hmm. So not only to know exactly how much arthritis is there and do I really need a replacement or is this patient even a candidate for a replacement versus the alternative, which is a fusion of the ankle, a CT, and especially in 3D, is is, is integral in, in, in preoperative planning for sure. Um, so I use it routinely in that respect. So you're saying that 3D systems will actually accept the PEDCAT scan to build the preoperative plan off of? Yes, yes. Yeah. And have you noticed a difference at all now that you're you have the functional alignment in in maybe the does that change anything in your surgical approach or anything like that it, it makes it easier and faster to do the, the actual procedure because everything is already dialed in yeah that, that's great and the other companies you work with do they still require a a regular medical ct for their pre-op plan no so they'll, they'll all take uh the pedcat scan yes that's phenomenal. So you don't even need a supplemental medical CT scan? No. Oh, okay. That's great. Uh, so which systems do you use besides 3D plan, uh, systems just for the benefit of listeners? The Right Medical and TAR and STAR. Okay, great. Um, so if there, there are people who are listening to this and, and they're thinking about that this is something they might want to consider for their practice, what are some of the practical considerations that you would recommend that they look at uh, before incorporating this technology? Uh, you know, first of all, you have to be prepared that, uh, you know, you're, that there is a financial obligation uh, and that you're, you're ready to implement that type of obligation to your practice and that you feel you have the patient load to cover that over time. It's important that you have the space for it is important that you feel you can, you know, have a good workflow in the office to accommodate the small space that the device does take up and that you have the staffing to get the authorizations and that you feel comfortable reading the films, of course, as well, and uh, uh, that you think that you can integrate into your practice for the patient's benefit and not just for yours. Did you have to hire additional staffing to make sure that you could carry out the pre-auths? No, I mean, I had other things that needed authorization as well in the office. So this was someone who was always making phone calls, outgoing phone calls all the time anyway. So it was just a little bit more workload. 
Okay. Okay. So no additional staffing needed and, and no additional staffing needed to operate your system either, correct? No, not at all. No. So do you have the do you have the same kid the same tech who is operating your X-ray system and your ultrasound? Is that same person uh, taking the PET-CAT scans? Correct. So your your X-ray tech, who should be a radiologic radiologic tech, uh, can also teach the CT scans. They don't need any extra certification. Uh, and then you obviously have to be a supervisor. But your most physicians who have X-ray in their office are already have a supervisor license, which takes care of the CT as well. Perfect. Can you talk about, this is a kind of a standard question that I like to ask people because I, I, I really do appreciate the diversity of the responses. What would you say are the top three indications that you use the cone beam CT for? So I would say preoperative planning for patients with hallux valgus to know exact rotation and displacement of the sesamoids, which we didn't, didn't usually look at in plain x-rays. Uh, in this degree of um, preciseness that we need now that we know about. Fractures, and more specifically stress fractures, and osteoarthritis. Okay, interesting. Yeah. When you talk about hallux valgus and pre-planning for that, there um, are a lot of, there was kind of one dominant system, but there are other systems that are coming online that are sort of, they're not based on CT, but they still kind of have that whole concept of you know, sort of pre-op planning with x-rays and things like that. Do you think actually having a 3D CT and in weight bearing gives you, do you work with any of those systems and does it give you any advantage there? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's kind of the whole point is in, in where I'm saying is that even without that system that you're, you're, you're speaking of, anytime you want to correct a bunion deformity, it's in three different planes mm-hmm. and you want to correct it in three different planes. And the only way you're going to get a good, view of those two different planes is with the three-dimensional scan and you have to have it weight-bearing. So that's the only way you can get that. Have you observed, so there's been a lot of literature um, when weight-bearing CT first came out, there was quite a lot of literature on the emphasis of sesamoid position um, and right. all the literature is evolving even more um, to say that, you know, it's we, we need to look at more than the uh, first and second uh, metatarsal relationship and maybe even go mm-hmm. further up into the midfoot and potentially sort of like the entire uh, column. Um, has your understanding of just from a clinical perspective, anecdotally, has your understanding of, of hallux valgus evolved at all since you've looked at so many cases on weight-bearing CT? Absolutely. The, the internal rotation of the first metatarsal and how the relationship with the sesamoids, although we always knew there was that relationship, it, is, it has come, you know, far further now since we've had this integration of three-dimensional scanning. Yeah, that's, that's great. Wonderful. So if there are people listening to this podcast and they're interested in connecting with you, uh, what is the best way that they can reach out to you? Best way would be to email me. Um, I at drsumek, S-O-O-M-E-K-H, drsumek at footanklespecialtygroup.com. And I'll happy to help you and answer questions. And if we need to connect over the phone, we can do that as well. Wonderful. And then to close this interview, I'd like to ask you about something more personal. So I read that you are a nationally recognized opera singer. So could you tell us a little bit more about this talent? Yeah, you've been deeping, uh, you've been going in a little <laughs> deep on my. So I've been singing uh, ever since I was in high school, and I just did all kinds of choirs and 
independent singing and musicals and operas. And it's just something I always did. And it was going to be either that or medicine. And I decided I needed a steady job <laughs> and uh, decided on medicine instead. And now I just do it on, you know, in my free time, just get my uh, frustrations out and <laughs> just sing a little bit. That's great. That's wonderful. Do you ever sing to your patients? Uh, just, you know, for anesthesia's sake, I put them to sleep that way. <laughs> no medicine, just put them to sleep like that. <laughs> that's great. Um, well, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's a pretty incredible hobby um, to, you know, singing is, uh, I'm just a shower singer myself, but uh, it does, <laughs> it takes a lot of effort. So kudos to you. And um, thank you so much for this, this talk. Uh, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. I really appreciate you being invited and I'm happy to help. Thank you. And and for those listening, uh, please consider subscribing to Curve Beam Connect. We have a, a diversity of speakers uh, who offer a lot of great insights. Uh, we're on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you so much.